welcome to this webinar video. I'm Francis Seeley from Global Net 21 and M for Voices and today we're going to look at a way in which communities and local authorities and townships and municipalities are working together to tackle the issue of climate change, an issue that's going to affect us all of our lives and the lives of our children and our grandchildren. Now many of those uh, local authorities and communities have actually worked collectively together. They've organised ways in which they can discuss ideas and issues and ways of tackling climate change in a bottom-up way and not a top-down way. In other words, it's not been the local authority or the township that's driven the agenda, but they've worked in an equal partnership together in networks to develop their ideas and the way that they think they can move forward. Now, this has happened in many countries across the world, but in North America, for example, and particularly in Canada, they've held 150 town hall meetings. Now, these weren't meetings where there were presentations from the townships. They were meetings that were organised bottom-up by the community with municipalities to tackle the issue of climate change and to come up with ideas of how they can address it. Well, let's look at what happened in some of those meetings now. To build the political power necessary to tackle the climate crisis, we need to unite a huge and diverse movement A complete end to fossil fuel subsidies. No new fossil fuel infrastructure. Support for families transitioning out of fossil fuel industries. No workers left behind when we transition. Proper redistribution of wealth. Living wage and a massive funding for housing, childcare, and education. Promote cycling, walking, free low carbon transit. Support for all migrants. And in the sovereignty and self determination. What was interesting when you saw that was that they were organising their meetings around what they called the Green New Deal. Now the Green New Deal is something which began actually in the United Kingdom. It began by a group of people, Caroline Lucas, Colin Hines from Greenpeace, uh, Richard Murphy, who is a, a tax and a tax expert and economist, and Anne Pettifer, who 
founded and ran the Jubilee campaign on international debt. And these people developed an idea called the Green New Deal, which is a way in which local authorities and communities together can address climate change in a comprehensive way. Let's hear what Anne Pettifer said about the Green New Deal. What's going to have to happen is that cities are going to have to work out their ecological balance sheet, if you like, the limits of emissions and you know, ecological degradation that is tolerable within a city. And already we've seen cities like Manchester be given a, uh, an ecological budget, uh, an emissions budget. You can only emit this much. And then within that budget, cities are going to work out, have to work out their own financial and economic budget for what the city is capable of doing within the framework of those emission limits. So it's a very big part of it. The point about the Green New Deal is that it's about the linking of the financial, the economic and the ecological systems and not the separation of them. It's not enough for, for cities just to ask for individual behaviour change or for community, you know, reuse, recycle stuff. We need to structurally change our cities. And I'm always impressed by the story of Ken Livingston. Because what Ken did is what I think all cities have to do, which is to front-end investment in alternative systems to enable their citizens to operate effectively. So on the day that he introduced the congestion charge, which everybody thought was going to be a disaster for him, he put 300 new buses on the streets of London, which meant that car drivers had an alternative system of transport, and which is why the congestion charge has always been accepted in London. So it's about front-end investment in alternative transport, land use and energy systems. And that means cities have to really get their act together. What Anne was saying there was that a Green New Deal is not about small changes. It's not about a bit of recycling here and a bit of recycling there. It's not about changing the way you eat things. It's not about those things which are important but it is about infrastructure transformation. It's about creating an infrastructure, both nationally and in local communities and authorities, that actually can build a green future. But of course, a Green New Deal isn't just about that. It's also about, as you heard from the Canadian video, about trying to see how those people who are most disadvantaged in society can be helped because climate change is going to disproportionately affect the poor and the impoverished in the world, and is doing so already. So a Green New Deal is about infrastructure changes, but it's also about linking climate justice with dealing with carbon emissions. Now, we spoke earlier about Richard Murphy, who was one of the people who started the Green New Deal and talked about it. And he believes that local authorities have a really important role to play in implementing a Green New Deal locally. Let's hear what he had to say. Local authorities have been really quite effective at the delivery of some types of services with regard to COVID. And uh, the market has not been as effective. And I believe that local authorities are critical to the future of the way in which we manage our country. Local authorities have been downplayed during my lifetime. I mean, I can still remember when, you know, as a boy, local authorities ran all the bus services, they ran all the education services, they ran so many things. And frankly, it worked. And now it doesn't. There was a deliberate strategy from the 1980s onwards of limiting the access 
of local authorities to the market to afford capital, to undertake capital investment, and to the divestment of their activities. So they're now reduced with a relatively small range of activities, and therefore have had their skill base reduced. Actually, I think there are a large number of people in this country who would like to work with, for, and alongside local authorities to deliver integrated services for the benefit of society. So my belief is that actually we need to reskill local authorities. And one of the early investments that the Green New Deal talks about is this reskilling process. We are simply short of skills now. We couldn't deliver enough retrofitting of housing now if we wanted to, because we haven't got the people to skill to do it. So early stage Green New Deal is actually education more than anything else, because it has to be to deliver this transformation. But local authorities are part of that process. And we have to reimagine what local authorities mean in the communities where we work and how we want them to become more accountable, more democratic, and more open to consultation with the communities that they serve. It's quite interesting listening to Richard because he says that the Green New Deal does require a lot of learning and education and understanding. And it's important to realise that the development of learning and especially the development of ideas is really important if we're going to tackle climate change. People getting together and developing ideas in networks and communities is vital. Never underestimate the power of ideas. When Copernicus wrote that or made that diagram where the Earth circled the sun instead of being the centre of our galaxy, he changed the world. When John Maynard Keynes wrote his economic work after the First World War, which challenged the orthodoxy of the politicians of that time and created post-Second World War, a future that was quite stable. He also helped to change the world. So never, never underestimate the power of ideas. And in a way, that is what's happening in many communities across the country. There are many green or new, green New Deal hubs that are being set up right across the United Kingdom. And... Uh, there's one locally near us in Haringey, but there are some right across the UK and, and also globally. The Green New Deal has become very big in Canada, very big in the USA and elsewhere as well. So the Green New Deal is one way forward for those who want to look at how we're going to tackle climate change. One of the other big ideas that is beginning to be generated at the moment and is being taken up widely again globally is that of what is called donut economics. It's an idea based on the book by Kate Raworth of the same name. And it sounds very strange to talk about economics in terms of a donut, but the donut is a diagram that explains how we can contain the services that we need to deliver to survive as human beings within the planetary constraints of sustainability. And it's an idea that whose time has really come and many, many people are beginning to adopt it. Let's hear what Kate tells us about donut economics. So a few years ago, I tried to draw a picture because I love drawing pictures. I tried to draw a picture of the world that we want to live in and it Silly though it sounds, it came out looking like a donut, an American one with a hole in the middle. So imagine a donut, there's the outside and then there's the inside and there's that hole in the middle. In the hole in the middle 
that's a space of deprivation, a space of shortfall where people don't have the resources to meet the essentials of life, like they don't have enough food or education, they don't have access to electricity, enough income, they don't have decent housing. So it's a space of shortfall and we want to get people out of that hole in the middle into the donut. But we want to do that for the whole world, making sure that we also don't go beyond the donut's outer crust because that's a space of ecological overshoot where humanity puts more pressure on the planet than the planet can take and we start causing climate change or massive loss of biodiversity. We start creating a hole in the ozone layer or polluting Earth with chemicals that we add to it. So we need to both get people out of deprivation and poverty but also protect Earth and protect these fundamental life-supporting systems that keep us alive. Those are the two sides of human well-being, the inside and the outside the donut. And the 21st century challenge is a unique one. It's to get everybody out of poverty while coming back in at the same time. That's never been taken on before. And that's partly why we need to rewrite economics, because it's a completely new way of looking at what human well-being is. Well, that was a brief explanation of donut economics. It's a simple idea, but complex as well, because in that simple diagram of the donut, we look at things like water, food, energy, health, and so on, and how we deliver that, and whether it actually sort of spills over into the planetary constraints that we need to sustain life on the planet, and then comes up with ways in which you can measure how successful you are in trying to constrain your carbon footprint in all of those areas. And Kate Rawworth is someone who has done a lot of work with local authorities in trying to get them to take this model as a way of developing a strategy and introducing measurement or metrics to see how successful they are. And she has done this in work or worked with a number of local authorities like Brussels, like Amsterdam, ones in Canada. She's worked with countries like Costa Rica and so on. But local authorities, she thinks, is quite critical in developing this particular model. So let's hear what Kate has to say about the role of local authorities. My name's Kate Rayworth and today I want to talk about how we've been downscaling the donut of social and planetary boundaries to make it relevant as a tool for places that are looking to transform so that you can see whether and how it's relevant to the transformations you are bringing about in Devon. But first I want to step back and start with a big picture of the century we're in. Because the last 20 years have begun with crises, from financial meltdown in 2008, in an era of climate breakdown, and most recently hit by COVID lockdown in cities and places all over the world. And the impacts of these crises are of course massively increased by sharp inequalities of gender and race, of wealth and power, global north and global south. So we need a new vision of human prosperity and progress that's fit for the 21st century. And so I offer you a donut, the only one that turns out to be any good for us. Think of it as a compass for human prosperity in the 21st century. The hole in the middle is a place where people are left falling short on the essentials of life without the food, healthcare, housing, gender equality, political voice, income that every person has a claim to. These come from the sustainable development goals that have been agreed by all governments in the world. So get everybody over the social foundation and into the donut itself. But at the same time, we must stay within the ecological ceiling 
because otherwise we push ourselves beyond planetary boundaries and break down Earth's life-supporting systems, causing climate breakdown, ocean acidification, critical levels of biodiversity loss. These nine planetary boundaries define the safe space for humanity. So the goal of the donut is to meet the needs of all people within the means of the planet. It sounds simple, but we are so far out of that balance right now. Billions of people worldwide can't meet their most essential needs. And we know that they live mostly in poor countries, but also in the midst of our rich countries. At the same time, we have already overshot multiple planetary boundaries. Last century's business leaders and politicians and community leaders never saw this picture. So why would we think that the proposals and policies and initiatives that they came up with would in any way solve its challenges? We need to come up with solutions of our own, fit for the challenges that we recognize as our own. Now this donut is at the global scale, but of course most policy and action happens locally in nations, in towns, in villages, in neighborhoods. So what if we could downscale this to a place? And that's the work we've been doing over the past year with our friends at Biomimicry 3.8, Circle Economy and C40 Cities. We've downscaled the concept of the donut to the scale of a city for Portland, Amsterdam and Philadelphia. And it starts with the critical question that I invite you to ask of the place you're in. How can our city be a home to thriving people in a thriving place while respecting the well-being of all people and the health of the whole planet? And this breaks down into four questions. Again, I invite you to listen to it through the ears of where you are, whether it's a city or a neighborhood or a town or a nation. We start with the local social question. What would it mean for the people of your city to thrive? That's best determined by the people of your place itself. And how are you thriving against the best available indicators that tell you the state of play? What would it mean for your city to thrive within its natural habitat? What if your place were as generous as the wildland next door? If your town or city sequestered as much carbon dioxide as the nearby forest, it housed as much biodiversity, stored as much groundwater, it cooled the air from the treetops to the forest floor. What if our cities were as generous as nature? These two make up the local aspiration, thriving people in a thriving place. But we have to recognize that every city, every town, every neighborhood is embedded in the world and draws upon global resources. So what would it mean for your city to respect the health of the whole planet? All the resources that are embedded in the food that are imported, the clothes that people buy, the electronics, the construction materials, all the consumer and construction goods that are coming into your place to make life work. How can your place live within its fair ecological impact upon the planet? And think of all that food and clothing and electronics and construction material. Who made them? Who dug them? Who stitched them? Who picked them? What are the labor rights of people worldwide in those global supply chains on which our lives depend? So these are the four questions of the city portrait. And this is what it looks like on the page when we did it for the city of Amsterdam. The dark gray boxes show you the city's targets where they have them in each of these areas. And then the light gray show an illustrative snapshot, the best available statistic telling us where the city is right now. We held workshops with city policymakers and community members in Philadelphia, Portland, and Amsterdam to explore their city portrait, to start drawing connections between all of those four quadrants. And it became clear that this was a really valuable tool for getting a holistic picture that had never been seen before 
by people whose jobs had only held them looking from one perspective in one department. Here's an example of how the portrait can be used from Amsterdam on the question of housing. They know they have a challenge with housing, but recognise that simply building more houses in the way they've always done will drive climate change. So they have to find a new solution. Their plan is to have a circular city where resources are used again and again, far more carefully, collectively and equitably, including in the construction sector. And this gives a chance not only of tackling climate change, but air pollution, reducing waste generation and excessive land conversion. It gives a chance to build housing in a way that sequesters carbon in the very timbers of the building, that harvests energy through solar panels or food farms on the roofs of building, that supports biodiversity through niches built into the walls. There's a chance to improve the health, the community, income and jobs and diversity in the city through how those houses are constructed, who they're for, who gets to live in those communities. And there's a chance to ensure that the coming circular improves conditions of work and health and security for communities worldwide who have been supplying those materials. So this is one way that the city can use such a holistic view to take a far more strategic take on housing challenges it faces. We're really excited about the possibility of turning this public portrait based on publicly available targets and statistics into a city selfie. What if the community of the city or the town or the place took this starting point and made it their own? Bringing in all the initiatives that are underway to create transformation, looking at all the profound interconnections and synergies between the work that's already going on, bringing in the voice, people's values, people's aspirations in all of these areas bringing in quotes from lived experience, stories, histories from different neighbourhoods, and then recognising possibilities for new initiatives that could be undertaken that will tackle multiple of these challenges at the same time. What if this city selfie were done through the lens of food, or through the lens of energy, or through the lens of housing? There are many ways that this can be constructed. Amsterdam's City Portrait was published at the beginning of April, and since its publication, we've had expressions of interest from across the world, including all of these places in the UK, where there's interest from citizens or councils or community organisations to downscale the donut for where they are. I love this image of possibility. It makes me think of my favourite wrapping paper. These wonderful donuts from a city to a neighbourhood to a town, many, many donuts of places. What if we could transform the way we govern ourselves, the metrics we live by, into these multiple visions of thriving in the donut. If that sounds appealing to you, here's how you can get involved now. Join us on Twitter at Donut Econ, where we're posting all of our news, including in July, we'll be posting the methodology that we use to downscale the city portrait for Amsterdam. So you can start figuring out how you'd want to adapt that to your place. And from September, we'll be launching our website and our community platform. Join us because you'll find there many change makers who like yourself, want to turn Donut Economics from a radical idea into a really transformative tool for action and bring about the transformation that we already know that we desperately want and need and can make happen. So that's how we've downscaled the donut. We hope it inspires conversation and ambition for bringing about transformation where you live. Thanks very much. You can see from that video that in the United Kingdom, a number of local authorities are now becoming really interested in using the donut model 
is a way of developing their strategy. Now, one area in the United Kingdom is Cornwall. Cornwall County Council is actually using that model as their strategic framework for tackling climate change. And we'll be doing a, a webinar interview with them very soon about how they do that. But it's one where they develop a strategy that looks at how the model can be implemented. It then looks at how you can develop metrics or measurements to find out how successful you are. And it also then tries to sort of embed the donut model in every department in the local authority so that every cabinet minister in everything they do does, does it within the framework of that model. And that really is, is quite, quite important. Now, one of the other local authorities that we um, have, have looked at is Cambridge. And in Cambridge, there is a group of people who got together to try and work with councillors and with others and with Anglia Ruskin University to try and develop how the donut model can work in Cambridge. Now, we spoke in a, a webinar a while ago with Kate Maguire, who is from that Cambridge group and also works as a researcher for Anglia Ruskin University. And she told us how they're beginning to develop that model in Cambridge. So let's listen what she had to say about that. Okay, so um, we've been going for, I think it's just under a year now. Um, so it's, which is not that long, um, but it's long enough to have sort of, you know, got our feet wet. So we sort of have a bit of an idea of what's happening. Um, it started, I think initially it started off a um, University of the Third Age reading group. So there were some people who'd come across the book in that respect um, and in a pub back when hanging around in pubs was a thing we could do without being a menace to public health. Um, in a pub in Cambridge, a group of people said, hey, this sounds really cool. We should get more people interested in this. And they sort of reached out. Um, a number of the mutual aid organisations that sort of sprung up in the wake of COVID um, have also been a way of people connecting. And as I'm sure you'll understand, because this will sound very familiar to you, there's been a lot of someone who works at the food, um, the food bank with someone else says, oh, I found about this thing about donut economics, you'd be interested. And they come along and they say, oh, I'm doing some stuff with Cambridge Carbon Footprint and they'll be interested in this. And so that kind of once it starts spreading, more and more people just bring more and more people in. Um, and so there's several people who know each other from various other hats and various other organisations that they belong to. Um, so that's how we've sort of spread. Um, and it's very non-hierarchical in the way that we work, in the way that we function. Um, it's almost all volunteers giving up their time to, to do what they want. So it's largely people doing things they're interested in and with the amount of time and effort that they have available. Um, and again, because I'm sure you've come across this before, that's a mixed blessing. So you sometimes get some people um, who would love to be able to do more, but they just don't have the time and resources to be able to do it on a voluntary basis. Um, so, so that's something that, that we've got. Um, as far as different things that we've been doing inside the Cambridge group, um, one thing we have been doing is running a reading group. So two Thursdays a month, we'll jump onto Zoom and we talk about a chapter in the book. And that's a way for us to be able to get a deeper understanding of what's happening. 
And very often that group ends with the question of, well, we've just talked about distributive by design systems. What does this mean for Cambridge? So it's a, the, the so what question at the end, um, where we then divide into breakout groups to think, well, here's a thing that happens in Cambridge and this is a way that, we, that it could be made more distributive. Um, so that's a really interesting thing to do. It's very theoretical, I suppose, because none of us are doing these things. We're just saying, well, wouldn't it be really cool if this could happen? Or here's a way in which that aim of donut economics could possibly be met. What we are doing that's much more concrete um, is a sort of data project, which has only just started. And this is um, in partnership and collaboration with ARU. So that's Anglia Ruskin University, the other university in Cambridge. Um, and it's with the Global, Sustainable, uh, Global Sustainability Institute. Um, and they've, through impact funding they have, I think that's what it's called, um, they've managed to fund a research position um, for a few months. Um, and that turns out to be me who's doing that. So as of last week, I am now actually doing this as um, something that's being funded through ARU. Uh, and this is trying to work towards where um, being able to produce a Cambridge donut, whatever that might look like. Um, and on the one hand, if you think back to the diagram we showed at the beginning, it could just be as simple as saying, for education, let's measure the percentage of um, children who get more than a grade five in GCSE. And if we're more than 80%, we're green. And if we're less than 80%, we're red. And for food, let's look at the number of people who've accessed a food bank in the past 12 months. And where if we're over a particular threshold, we're red. And if we're under, we're green. So it could be as simple as just picking a thing. Um, picking a thing, of course, isn't as easy as it sounds, because how do you summarize what's happening in a domain as large and broad and diverse as education or food or health for a city um, in, in just one measurement? Um, so what we're doing is sort of doing some work on what does education mean here? What possible data exists? What sort of story do we want to tell? What are the issues facing Cambridge at the moment when it comes to education? Certainly when it, um, in Cambridge, one of the biggest issues we have here is inequality. So Cambridge got the, the very unholy um, honour of being ranked, I think, the, the most unequal city in England a few years ago. Um, whether this is a good thing or not, on the upside, it's because of the massive wealth, more, than, more so than because we have massive abject poverty. But nonetheless, there is a massive divide between the rich and the poor here in Cambridge. And that's obvious through health um, outcomes, education outcomes, all sorts of other things, housing, etc. Um, so that's something that's of particular interest here in Cambridge, but might not be in other places. Um, Cambridge, of course, isn't the first place to try and do this. So going back to Deal and the Deal website, um, Kate Rayworth worked with a number of organizations, but worked with Amsterdam, Portland, and Philadelphia to create city portraits, which is actually a bit more broad than just the donut. It looks at it in a different way. It looks at um, local and global and looks at ecological and social. So we say, well, what can we do locally, socially? What do things look like here? And the question that's being asked in each of these is, what would it mean for people in this place to thrive? 
So we're not looking at just what does it mean for these people to get a good GDP rating um, so that we can still stay in the G20. Um, what it is, is what does it mean to thrive? Um, and what does it mean for people in this ecological environment to thrive? So we're looking at local, ecological, and then of course global because we are all interconnected. And, and us sending all of our recycling off to Bangladesh does not mean that we've obliterated the problem totally and it no longer exists. So it's um, completely naive to think that you can do this looking only at what's happening in your backyard. So Kate Rayworth and the others put together a methodology for creating um, a city portrait. And there's a lot of great information on the DEAL website about how to do that. Um, and so we're sort of looking at that as well. And we're in the early stages of deciding exactly what sorts of resources we want to produce. Do we want to do a donut? Do we want to do a city portrait? Do we want to do a decision wheel like Cornwall have done, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so we're sort of working in that direction and seeing what we can, what we can achieve, um, what's going to be useful for us and how we're going to use it. Um, but none of this is really necessary. So if you guys are thinking of starting a donut economics group where you are, you don't have to think that this means you're starting your way on an inexorable path towards producing a city portrait and a donut. You don't have to do that. A lot about donut economics and the, the theory behind it is about the fact that everything has to be done really quite locally. It has to be about what's appropriate for you where you are. And it might be that for you, starting off with a group of like-minded people who can read the book and discuss the chapters might be a really good start. It might be, as what happened here in Cambridge, that one of the people involved in that happens to be a city councillor. Um, and in that case, that sort of thing then opens the door for being able to liaise with people like councils. Um, and so we've been able, um, very luckily, been able to get that contact and that buy-in from someone inside the city council so that we are having discussions with them about what it would mean for Cambridge City Council to take on board donut principles and, and what that would mean in theory, but also what that might mean in practice. And depending on the situation where you are, it might be that that sort of a connection and relationship is very easy. It might be it's very challenging. It might be useful. It might not be useful. Um, so those sorts of networks and connections, I think, are incredibly important. But it does depend on what's most appropriate where you are and with the people that you've got. So Cambridge is working very hard at developing a model for their particular area and community and Cornwall is clearly doing the same. In fact, Cornwall has been so successful that something like 60 local authorities have contacted them about how they might develop that model in their area. And they get several emails a week asking about information about it. Because what they're doing, like all the cities developing, is they're creating a city portrait, a portrait where they can get some idea of how they can develop their services within the constraints of the planet we live in. And what they do then is they work together. They work together with their community. They realise that to solve a problem, they have to develop trust between all stakeholders or members of the community with the local authority if they're going to find solutions. And they also work with a number of professionals. Um, not just people who they pay, the local authority pays, but people who are in the community. In the community, there are people with tremendous skills and tremendous knowledge. And if they can tap that and work together, 
then it, it is a powerful force for trying to make a difference. And working with the community is absolutely vital because if they don't work with the community, if they try to do it on their own, if they just do it bilaterally with one group and then another group and then another group, they're not really taking advantage of the power of the community in which they live. The way in which the successful local authorities and communities are, work, are working together, the way in which they can do it successfully, whether it's on the Green New Deal or whether it's on the donut economics model, is when they work in networks and do it in a collaborative way, and that's important. And many local authorities are doing that in the United Kingdom. But as we've seen, they're also doing it across the globe. This particular movement to try and create a framework that can bring everything together is having huge global momentum. In our area, we have lots of people, huge numbers of people working on sustainability or working individually. But if we can bring them together and talk to each other, then the power of that is really energetic. And if that can happen across the globe, and if we can then exchange information with people across the globe and work together in networks there, it becomes important. So these have been two really important ideas, the New Green Deal, the idea, of donut, the idea of donut economics that is beginning to transform the way communities and local authorities and townships are beginning to work. And I think it's an important lesson for those of us who want to tackle climate change that there is a way forward. So there are models we can work to in the 21st century and I hope we can all jump on board and developing those together.